every time that we get to this point in the year, the end of the year, thinking of the next one to come, there's always this discussion of what needs to change, what I want to happen in 2018. What is it in my life that really needs to change? And it's, th- it's things as, as simple as um, exercise kind of stuff, losing weight, to serious changes in our life that we need to make. And there's no greater place to talk about change, to talk about transformation than at church. Because the one who created the universe, the one who put everything together, that knit it together, that holds it together, is, as the Lord says in Colossians, is the one that can make real, lasting change in our lives. And as I was thinking about this and praying about it, I feel like the Lord led me to, to the book of Jonah today. And I want to talk about the story of Jonah and kind of compare him, if you will, with, with some of the other people that we find in Scripture and, and Jonah was a guy who had, to put it in modern terms, if you will, been in church all his life. He was actually a, a prophet, the reluctant prophet, if you will. And God wanted to send him to do some, some things, and he didn't want to do it. But I want us to look at it together today. Quickly, let's take a look at the book of Jonah. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, and go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it. For their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. God says, I want you to do something, and immediately runs the opposite direction. You've never done that, I'm sure. God wants you to do something. There's something you have to do. Complete opposite direction. The Lord, which is what's, what's interesting about God, is God never, ever gives up on us. He has this faithfulness that literally hunts us down and says, I love you too much to allow you to do something stupid, to go the wrong direction. And even in the middle of your mistakes, I will follow you and I will come after you. It's this incredible love like a parent has for their child. They're not just going to let them go so far and not be with them and not bring correction. And so God was, it says, he hurls a great wind on the sea. And there was a great storm on the sea so that the ship was about to break up. It says, and the sailors became afraid and every man cried to his God and they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, laying down and fallen asleep. And so the captain approached him and said, How is it that you're sleeping? Get up and call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. Everyone else is freaking out and Jonah is just asleep in the bottom of the boat, headed the wrong direction. And each man said to his mate, Come, let us cast lots so we may learn whose account This calamity has struck us, so they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, Tell us now, on whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? What are you doing here? Who are you, Jonah, right? He said to them, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Of course, at this point, The people on the boat are really freaking out. You serve the God who made the earth and the sea? 
And here we are in the midst of this ridiculous storm. It says the men became extremely frightened and they said to him, How could you do this? How could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And so they said to him, What should we do to you that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. And he said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that on account of me, this great storm has come upon you. It says, However, the men rowed desperately to return to land, but they could not. For the sea was becoming even stormier against them. Then they called on the Lord and said, We earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life, and do not put innocent blood on us. For you, O Lord, have done as you have pleased. So, without any measure left, they pick up Jonah and they threw him into the sea. And the sea stopped. It's raging. Just all of a sudden, storm, switch, no storm. Pretty incredible. It says, Then the men feared the Lord greatly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And so, God caused this storm to get Jonah's attention. Other people get involved in this. He's thrown into the sea. The storm stops. And this is what happens. The Lord appoints a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of that fish for three days and for three nights. It's amazing the extent to the lengths that God went to go ahead and get Jonah's attention. Jonah was someone that needed a real heart change. There were some things within him that really needed to turn. If he was going to be the prophet that God had called him to be to begin with. And that's when we sit at at New Year's Eve thinking about what we really need to be. The things that need to change. The things that need to happen in our lives for us to be the person that God has called us to be. And so God really gets involved in the process and gets Jonah's attention. To the point that he goes and provides a fish to swallow him. Jonah's in the middle of some kind of fish. We think of a whale because that's the biggest fish we can conceive. Okay, For three days and for three nights. Imagine what would have gone through your head if you were stuck in the fish for three days and three nights. Do you think, you know that you would change? Do you think it would be a lasting change for you to be (laughs) stuck in a fish for three days and three nights? And so see, sometimes tragedy, sometimes crazy things like that really can get your attention. And Jonah is probably the worst example of this because what happens, and we're going to skip ahead here, (coughs) Jonah's in the middle of this fish. He says some, some incredible prayers. It looks like he's changed. It looks like he's he's serious about about changing his ways and listening to God. And we go to chapter 3 of Jonah. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, verse 10 prior to that, excuse me, says, Then the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah, love that, up onto the dry land. Caused this fish to swallow Jonah and swam back the way that God said, I want you to go to begin with. Throws up, there's Jonah in Assyria, which is where Nineveh is. And the word Lord comes to him what? A second time. Right? Are we looking for that second chance sometimes? 
the new opportunity, that change. It says the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I am going to tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. He's listening. He's doing what he's supposed to do. It says, Now Nineveh was an extremely great city, a three days walk. So big it would have taken him three days to go through the entire city. But it says, And Jonah began to go through the city in one day's walk, and he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. He's only gone one day into his journey and says, Look what happened. It says, Then the people of Nineveh believed in God, and they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat on the ashes. He issued a proclamation, and it said, In Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink water. But both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth. And let them call on God earnestly, that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. Sackcloth and ashes was a, was a form of repentance. It was a form of, of turning away from sin. An outward appearance of what God was doing on the inside. Nineveh was a, a very wicked place to the point that God said, Look, Nineveh is going to be no more. And then all of a sudden they hear what, what Jonah has to say. And there's a turning. There's a changing. And it says in verse 10, When God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he declared he would bring upon them. And he did not do it. Because there was a turning. Because there was a changing within their heart. Now what's interesting you would think about Jonah is that Jonah would be excited about this. You think Jonah would be would be thrilled to see what God had done. But this is this is Jonah's attitude. Even after spending three days and three nights in this fish. But it greatly displeased Jonah. It says, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was this not what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious and a compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. He's irritated. He's upset that God is actually gracious, that God is forgiving that God could be one who would who would act in such a way. He said, I didn't want to come here because I knew that if I did, that you would just be gracious and you would be loving and you would forgive these people. And this is what Jonah continues. Look what happens. He says, now, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. And the Lord says, Do you have any reason to be angry? Where, wait a minute, Jonah. What happened here? You're in the middle of a fish. You're saying all these prayers, thanking God that he didn't take your life, gives you a second chance, spit up on the beach. You go, and God's using you. But he's ticked off at God because of God's faithfulness and his grace and his patience. And God is patient enough even with Jonah at this point to say, Jonah, 
do you really have any reason to be angry? Why are you upset? It says, Then Jonah went out from the city and sat east of it. There he made a shelter for himself and sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen in the city. Now, really Jonah here today is kind of our, our negative contrast. Okay, Jonah, one of the things you'll see in Jonah probably more than any other character in Scripture is this incredible pride. This incredible aspect of thinking that he knew everything there was to know. His will was number one. Jonah, you know, if, if his life was a totem pole, would be at the very top. It's all about Jonah. You know, God says to Jonah, go ahead and go talk to Nineveh. I want you to... And he did not like the Ninevites. If you understand the, the history between Nineveh and the Israelite people, they, they hated each other. So to go and preach to Nineveh would be something like no, he would never want to do unless he had this gracious heart. Jonah said, I'm not going. God made him go. He's in the middle of the fish and finally has this change of heart. So we think, spit up, vomit it onto the land. Go ahead and talk to these people. All right, I'll reluctantly do this. But then he's upset that God could be so gracious. And here we have this point after this conversation with God. God had already said he was relenting. God had already said he was given compassion. But Jonah goes ahead and has a seat to wait and to see what would happen. It was as if his conversation with God would have changed God's mind. No, I don't want you to be gracious. Now that, now that Jonah's talked to me, I'm going to go ahead and just rain down wrath on Nineveh. He goes and sits down just to wait and see what God was going to do, even though God already said that he was relenting concerning this calamity. And so here he is, he sits down and says, The Lord God planted, appointed a plant, and it grew up over Jonah, to be shade over his head, to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. But God appointed a worm when dawn came the next day and it attacked the plant and it withered. When the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all his soul to die, saying, Death is better to me than life. Jonah was just definitely one of those guys you want to hang out with, wasn't he? You know? This plant comes up. God continues to show him grace. I'm going to give you a little bit of shade. They take the plant away. And Jonah's like, I just want to die. Dramatic much. You know? Then again, God says to Jonah, Do you have a good reason to be angry about the plant? And he said, I have a good reason to be angry, even to death. I would just rather die because this plant's gone. The Lord said, You have had compassion on the plant for which you did not work and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 people who do not know the difference between their right and left hand as well as many animals? Jonah's heart was one that was completely full of pride. Was completely all about himself. 
And even in the midst of being in through some, some crazy times and being swallowed by a fish, even in that crazy event, it didn't cause him to change. Because pride, selfishness, this focus on ourself often keeps that transformation from truly taking place. And what's interesting is that even though Jonah was the one who was going to come and to preach to the people of Nineveh, after what he had been through, his heart hadn't been changed, but the, the people that God had originally considered so wicked did change. A lasting change. The entire nation, as it began, even with just one day's walk through Nineveh, completely turns to God. Completely is willing to, to, to put on the sackcloth and the ashes and to literally just stop the press. And to say, we've got to stop what we're doing. And God has to be number one. And Jonah was like, I don't, I don't want there to be a, a real change in Nineveh. I hate these people. I wanted nothing to do with these people. But the, the people of Nineveh changed. A radical change from, from every aspect of the city. If we're going to have a, a lasting change, there has to be that kind of turning within our hearts. No matter what it is, if it's, if it's serving the Lord, uh, most importantly, if it's this aspect of losing weight, to use the opposite extreme, there has to be this true mentality of change. And with, with Jonah, Jonah was all about himself. Nineveh changed that and put God at the top of that totem pole. God became number one to the point that everything in Nineveh was going to change. He was going to be number one. There's a lot of people that we, that we see in Scripture that had a transformation, that had a change. Maybe guy, this guy named Moses, have heard of him, right? Moses literally is, is under the, the court of Pharaoh, sees someone hurting one of his brothers, one of his other Israelite brothers, and goes and commits murder. Because of that, ends up wandering around in the wilderness for years. I want to say it was about 40 years is a special number in Scripture. For a long time, looking back on his past, I'm sure ever wondering if God would ever use him again. But Moses has a pretty radical change, if you will, when he encounters God. Encountering God changes everything. He encountered God in the middle of the wilderness. God shows up in the form of this, this burning bush and talks to Moses and, and just shows him incredible things and then uses him to lead the Israelite people out of Egypt. In the Bible, we read about a guy named Saul at the time who was literally persecuting all the Christians. He was one of the guys that held the coats as they stoned this guy named Stephen. And he was literally getting papers from the religious leaders to go ahead and hunt down other Christians to carry them away to prison. Until he had an encounter with God. It says on the road to Damascus. And it says that, that literally that God <coughs> spoke to him and said, why are you persecuting me? Caused him to go through a time of blindness for three days. There's those three days again. I guess a lot can be done in three days, huh? A lot can happen in three days. 
that says that the Lord caused his blindness to fall, says the scale, like scales kind of falling from his eyes. And, he, and from that moment on, rather than carrying Christians away to, to prison, he began serving the Lord 100% because he had, a, he had an encounter with God. A lot of times I think what happens to us this time of year is we get really excited about something and we, we say, this time I mean it, kind of like the video. And we're kind of like Peter. Peter was one of those guys that um, he was just excited. If he had this great idea, he was going to make it happen, you know. And, you know, he was the one that was called out to Jesus. Hey, tell me to come walk on the water. Lord, now come. He's all right. So he walks on the water. Of course, you know, the story, he looks away from Jesus, doubts and begins to sink. Okay. He was the guy that said, Jesus, no, no matter what, all these other guys, they, they turn away from you, not me. I will never deny you. Did you ever get pumped up, excited about something? And like Peter, you're like, all right, this time it's going to be different. You ever been there? <laughs> yeah. And even, even Peter, though he was like that, he had that amazing passion. He had this moment where what? Where he did deny Christ three times. Jesus said to him, Peter, I appreciate your passion, right? Appreciate what you have to say, but even this night, when I'm when I'm taken away, I will be betrayed, and you will turn. You will deny me three times, as the cock crows. Denied him three times. Can you, and can you imagine what Peter must have felt? Going in with that passion, going in with that strength, if you will. Okay. Many of us have that passion for this new year, for something to change, for something to happen. And to get just that very same night, just to get a little bit into the year, and it just flops. You ever been there? This is going to be change. This is going to change this year. This is going to change right now. And you made all kinds of different things throughout the year. Even I'm going to change this. I'm going to change that. You don't get very far down the road, and you fail. You flop. You see, Peter though. Peter had this other experience with the Lord. One of the things that we've seen as through the scripture we've read thus far is that God's grace and his patience with us is incredible. The lengths that he will go to track us down and to, to, to pick us back up again are incredible. Jonah is prideful and as much of a punk, quite honestly, as he was. God caused a storm, caused a fish. He allowed a plant to grow over the top of him. He he was with him through all of this. He never, as much as annoying I was, I would say Jonah could have been as a person. Never ever let him go. He was thrilled with the passion of Peter. Peter denied him, did a bunch of stupid things, but he never let Peter go. We have this, this conversation at the end of the book of John with Jesus and Peter. And in this place, and it's not going to be on the screen, so just listen, listen close. This is after the death and, and resurrection of Christ. And Peter and some of the guys are out fishing. This 
miracle that had taken place earlier earlier on when Jesus first came on the scene with them happens again where they're, they're out fishing. Nothing's happening. This is in, in John 21, by the way. They're out fishing and nothing's happening. And they couldn't tell, it says, but from the start who it was, someone yells from the shore, hey, why don't you put your net on the other side of the boat <laughs> and see if you catch some fish there. And to a fisherman, I'm sure that had to sound just ludicrous. But of course, they do it, and they catch so much fish that their, their nets should be breaking. And they realize who it is. It's Jesus. Now, I wonder what goes through Peter's heart when he thinks about what he's done, the times he's rejected him, and yet Jesus is, is still here. And he's one of the guys that, let me just let me just read it to you. It says, Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put his outer garment on, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. Jumps out of the boat, into the water, it says, but the other disciples came in that little boat, for they were not far from the land, about a hundred yards away, dragging the net full of fish. Peter wasn't waiting. So when they got out of the land and they saw there was a charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it and bread, and Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you've now caught. And Simon Peter, Peter went up and drew the net to land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Let's have some breakfast together. And so we get to this point, and there's a conversation between Jesus and Peter. So when they had finished breakfast, this is in verse 15, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? More than these. And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. More than these, he was referring to what? What did they just catch? Fish. A whole bunch of fish. See, Peter had gotten to the point, and you see this early in the chapter. Let's just go back. Let's go, go back fishing. Maybe I'm not, I don't know what went through his mind. I'm not cut out to be a disciple. Not cut out to do what Jesus called me to do. I've, I've, re, I've rejected him three times. Let's go fishing. So they go fishing. They catch nothing until Jesus shows up. And then Jesus talks to Peter and says, Do you love me more than these? We have this tendency in our life where we want to lift up our work, lift up our activity, lift up our other things above Jesus. Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? Of course, it reminded Peter of what he had done, didn't it? He said to him, Lord, you know 
all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. He didn't say go back out fishing. He said, Tend my sheep. It was his call back to what Peter was supposed to do to begin with. A reminder that he had been called as a disciple. He says, Truly I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. It says, Now this he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, Follow me. Jesus told Peter what would happen in advance, but Peter's life was so radically transformed at this moment. And you see it in the book of Acts. That he was willing to do anything to honor Jesus. When you encounter Jesus, things change. And Peter was willing to do anything and everything to honor Christ. To the point it says that at the end of his life, and Jesus talks about this in advance, Peter ended up being crucified. He was persecuted to the point that they, they killed him by crucifying him. And Peter literally said, it's historic, they said, I don't want to be crucified in the same way as Jesus. And because of that, they had, he had them turn him upside down. He was crucified upside down. His desire, his passion for Christ was completely changed. It was, it was completely different. There's a, a passage in Scripture where you see the disciples in the book of Acts and they encounter these other people and it says they could look, just tell by looking at them that they had been with Jesus. There had been a real change in their lives. And Peter more than, more than most. What I want to do is encourage you today. I want us just to spend some time in prayer. I don't there are all there all of us have items, have things, have relationships, the weight thing, whatever it is in our lives that need to change. There's some things that we're going through. There's some things that are that are super private. I don't know what, what they are. But you're looking at this new year and praying and hoping that God will change this thing, this relationship, this whatever it is in your life. And I want us to pray that God would do that today. Whatever it is, from the from the smallest to the greatest thing. We're going to spend a moment in prayer. Before we do, I want to, I want to encourage you with something. The one who, who truly makes a lasting change in our life is the Lord. Your motivation, your get up and go, you know, your American attitude of pull up your your bootstraps kind of we're going to go get it kind of thing only goes so far. And your motivation earthly motivation manly man made motivation only lasts so long. But if it encounters the power of Christ, there's lasting change. If God gets a hold of you, there's lasting change. You look at Saul, who becomes Paul, and there's no reasonable explanation why all of a sudden he would just change. It was an encounter with Christ. He didn't work himself up and have this intellectual change and, you know, changes, you know, whatever it is. It was because of the power of God. 
When you encounter God, when you lean on Him through His strength, things change. When you try to do things by yourself, you don't, you're not going to get anywhere. It's not going to last. The only way things are truly going to change in your life with anything is through the power of God. The Bible teaches over and over that because of His power, because of His strength, that we can do anything. Because of Him, not because of us. It's always because of Him, not because of us. And we always want to do things ourselves. We want to fix things ourselves rather than going to Him. Now what, I, what I'm going to encourage you to do this morning, Diane went to the bookstore yesterday and uh, saw something really great. Okay, and what this is is this is a this is a one year Bible. Okay, but it's a one year New Testament. Okay, so I don't know how many times maybe you've tried to do it before. Um, have you ever tried to go through the Bible in a year? Okay, no one's afraid. I was afraid to raise their hand. <laughs> Were you successful? Don't tell me. Okay, everyone wanted to be. Right? And even if you've done it before, this is something that if, if we're going to the right place okay, for change, it needs to be the Lord. So what we've got today, this is, this is an easier challenge than the, the typical one-year Bible because this is just the New Testament. Okay? But I'm going to tell you, some of us have been successful with that. Some of us haven't. But the even greater thing that some of us maybe haven't been so hot at lately has just been having a time of devotion. Having a time with God every day. It can sound legalistic if you want it to, but I don't care. It's probably the most important thing that you will do in the day. We hear it from the world about breakfast is the most important meal of the day. We're going to eat breakfast and we got to do this and we got to drink so many glasses of water a day and all this other kind of stuff. And the world tells us all these things we need to do for our health. But truly the most important thing we need to do is to meet with Him. There are some habits that we need in our life. And this above all. If we're going to give the Lord the attention He's due, if we're going to be able to lean and plug into the right source of power, it needs to be with the Lord. So what we have is a, a one-year Bible, New Testament. Now what this looks like is really cool, okay? You're talking about it's a good example of a day. You're talking about a little bit of scripture every day. What I'm going to encourage you to do as a church, I don't care if you've been here forever or this is your first time, we'd love for you guys to take one today. I want to challenge you as a church. Today's New Year's Eve, right? So that means tomorrow is what? New Year's Day. There's no better time, okay? I'm going to challenge all of us as a church to take one of these. If you have your own devotional thing, fine, whatever. Take this too, okay? Do it on top of it. But as a church, what I'd like us to do is to go through the New Testament in a year. And you're going to be more tempted just to read further ahead, which is fine, but but let's do this together, okay? Find a time, beginning tomorrow, that you go ahead and open this up, and you read it, and you spend a minute with the Lord in prayer. The minute might turn into two, turn into three, might turn into a whole hour. I don't know. You're like, I don't have that much time. But the desire 
the passion that you have for the Lord, if you do this, if you start here, will grow and grow. The peace that you have will grow. The strength that you have will grow. Because the Bible says the fruit of the Spirit, in other words, God working in your life, are these things, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are things I want in my life. If those things are in my life, like just the self-control thing already handles half of everyone's resolutions. I just need the self-control to stop eating or eat the right junk or close your refrigerator or whatever, okay? How about love? Being able to, you know, to, to love that person at work that drives you nuts or there's a relationship that you're, that, that's in trouble, okay? That, that needs that attention. You need peace. Who doesn't need peace? But it only comes from one place. It only comes from the Lord. To, to simply have that one thing in the midst of whatever you're dealing with is huge. But it only comes from God. So what I'm encouraging you to do is to say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to take one. These cost us five bucks. So don't, don't freak out. Okay, Just take it. Take it and do it. Allow the Lord to truly move like never before in your life this year. Let me say this. If you add something, the mistake people make, I don't know if you saw the post they put on Facebook, but if you add something on your plate in this new year, you don't just keep adding things. You also need to take some things away if this is going to happen. So when you take this, walk out the door and the Lord will figure that out. But you need to pray. You know, Maybe I need to get up earlier. Maybe I need to give up that TV show. Something added, something subtracted. Okay? But there really is not much of an argument for what's the most important thing. They're literally things that hold everything else together. The Lord needs to come first.